This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. that we really weren't overloaded with musicians and singers. You know, some people are like magnets for those kinds of people. I'm like a magnet when you flip it over the wrong way and it pushes everything away. Um, We decided, hey, we'll just let God raise up some people in the house. And so you understand that might take some time, but boy, he's right. The growth, development, commitment of these young people and they're starting them even younger than ever, evidently. I mean, the newest uh, member of the team is only nine weeks old. And, uh, <coughs> but I um, hope y'all could hear that little tenor coming out um, from baby Brady. Well, I've been in a wrestling match all week, so if I'm walking crooked, you'll know why. Because sometimes uh, you hit those spots where yeah, you just have to Stop the forward progress and um, and just and just get in the dirt and wrestle for a while, and that's okay. It uh, when you come out of the wrestling match, I'm not sure if I'm out of it or not. But when you do come out of it, you might be walking crooked, but the crooked walk will be part of your testimony. The crooked walk will be uh, additional power to your story, and um, so really, literally have no idea, had no idea as of this morning, <laughs> you know, really what we're going to talk about today because I've been busy wrestling all week. Um, I, I do kind of know now because of our prayer time and because of what's happened so far what some of the reason for the wrestling match has been because the Lord was preparing things for some pretty dynamic and powerful things to happen here and we can see that happening in some lives but I did run across a quote. We can put the quote up on the screen. It's the only thing I have for the screen this morning. Um, and we'll just leave it up there the whole time because some of us might need to read it more than once. Some of us might need to reference it uh, a couple times while, while I'm talking. And the quote is from the great... Um, British poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge, and it says, Truths of all others the most awful and interesting are too often considered as so true that they lose all the power of truth and lie bedridden in the most... I don't know where that word most came from. And lie bedridden in the dormitory of the soul side by side with the most despised and exploded errors. Ignore that first most. It's not supposed to be there. Let me read it again. Truths of all others, the most awful and interesting, are too often considered as so true that they lose all the power of truth and lie bedridden in the dormitory of the soul, side by side with the most despised and exploded errors. So toss that around, think about it. And when I read that, and I did have to go back and read it a few times, I'm still wrestling with it. 
I started to see and hear and understand one of the most profound dangers for us as kingdom sons and daughters, as believers in this world. And I'm not talking about outside attacks from the enemy, from Satan, from whatever influences and lies and deceitfulness he brings at us. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about uh, stuff from out there that other people might do or say to conflict with or contradict what we believe or what we know to be true. I'm talking about what potentially can, can happen inside of the community of faith, inside our experience as kingdom sons and daughters in the world. And that is that we can have heard, preached, taught, we can have read, we can have heard it in songs, very profound truths that are just that, they are truths, but we've heard them and we've been, been exposed to them so often that they lose the power of truth. You following me? And they get buried down in there somewhere. The way Coleridge puts it with a beautiful metaphor is they lie bedridden in the dormitory of the soul. And when that happens, they are then lying side by side with the most despised and exploded errors. In other words, to be exposed to a truth and then to become, become so familiar with that truth that it becomes trite and meaningless is just as bad and just as dangerous as any outside error, any lie, any deceit that we could have ever been exposed to. So when we're dealing with truth, we need to get real and we need to keep it fresh and familiar because the bottom line, I can get to the bottom line from, from the start here today, is that it is God that we need. It is God that we're after. It is God who is the source of everything. It is God and only God who can fill up the God-shaped space in our lives and in our spirits. God should be our only quest. God should be our only hope. God is the only one who's the source of light and hope and transformation and life itself. It is only God that we are to be after. It's only God that we are to chase. It's only God that we are to desire. You can take any principle from Scripture. You can take any attribute of God and you can study it and you can embrace it and you can hear it and you can read it and you can have been exposed to it for, for many, many years. But if you exalt that thing above the person of God himself, then that is idolatry and that is rebellion and that is a sin, even though the principle in and of itself is good and godly. You understand what I'm saying? Because it is God above all. It's God before all. It's God over all. It's God under all. It's God between and beside all. It is simply the person of God that we are in pursuit of. Um, 
we might as well deal with the truth. And the truth is God. Truth comes out of the heart of God. So let me ask you a question. If you believe something that is almost entirely true, do you think that's a safe place to be? If you hear something or are exposed to something that is 99% true, do you think you're in good shape? Tracy and I celebrated 32 years of marriage this past week. Thank you all for that rousing ovation. It is truly a testament to her resolve and her uh, patience and, and commitment and understanding. I could stand here and say that we have had 32 years of wedded bliss. And you could call me a liar. And you'd be right. And people who say that their entire marriage, however many years it's been, has been perfect are liars. I would say that about 23 to 24 years of the 32 have been awesome. But if you added up the time, if you plucked out moments and periods of time that were not awesome and put them all together, it's going to be several years. So we, we've had uh, 20, maybe 23, 24 years of wedded bliss, and then we've had about eight years or so of difficulty and knocking heads and arguing. And, you know, I've heard, uh, I've heard uh, the children of somebody who's, who's passed away stand up and say, I never, ever heard my parents argue. If, my, if one of my kids says that at my funeral, jump up and scream, You're a liar! That woman and I have argued. We have knocked heads. We have had difficult times. We've lived in some silly ways here and there. We have had different ideas and wanted to go different directions and pulled against each other at times instead of pulling together and supporting each other. What, what am I doing right now? Am I, talk, am I saying that our marriage is not good and it's a disaster? Absolutely not. Our marriage is great. I think year 32 was the best year we've ever had. But I would be a liar if I stood before you and told you that our whole marriage had been perfect. It hasn't. We might as well deal with the truth. There's a line from a song. It's not a Christian song, but I think we can gain something from it that says, just remember this, my girl. You can look up in the sky. You can see the stars and still not see the light. We can look to the heavens at nighttime in a, on a clear night and see the stars. And we can recognize those stars as fabulous, as beautiful. We can see how they decorate the night sky. And we can identify constellations and planets, and we can identify certain ones that have gained enough importance that they've actually been given names. We can admire those stars. And if we never reach the point where we begin to understand why those stars are there 
and who it is that's responsible for them being there, then we're going to miss the point of the stars altogether. You can see the stars and still not see the light. You can see beauty, and if you never come to the point where you look with adoration and worship and exaltation on the God who creates beauty, then you will miss the whole point of beauty. If you look at or consider any good gift that we have available to us, either as uh, to mankind as a whole or to us individually, and you can have appreciation for it and you can admire it and you can respect it, but if you never get to the source and acknowledge why we have any good gift, why we're blessed with any generosity in this life, if you never boil it down to the God who's responsible for it, then you will miss the whole reason why it's here. That's the truth. So we started off the year dealing with faith, family, fitness, and finance. And these things can be a real challenge when you start living it out day by day and you start digging into it and dealing with it in a truthful and genuine and real fashion. And there's no need playing games with it. You know, I'm at the point in my life going on 59 years old and got a lot of water under the bridge and still got some to come. But I'm just at the point where uh, when it comes to mediocre, lukewarm Christianity, I, got, I have no time for it. I have no interest in it. And if it's between that and just hitting the highway and living for the devil and having a good time, I'm on the highway. That's how strongly I feel about average status quo religion and Christianity. I don't care about it because it stinks in the nostrils of God. It turns his stomach. These things are straight out of the Bible. This is not the co- according to the gospel of Jeff. God hates average status quo religion. He despises it when we see a relationship with him as just going to church on Sunday, hanging out with other believers for a couple of hours, and then going home and doing whatever it is we want to do for the rest of the week. God's not into that, so why would I want to be into that? That's not built on a foundation of truth. That is us trying to transform God's image into our image rather than the way it's supposed to be, which is we are created in His image. But we try to pollute and pervert and we want God to be there to accommodate our plans when the truth of the matter is we don't even have plans that are real and legitimate There is only one plan, and that is God's plan. And our role is not to get God to accommodate our plan. Our role is to figure out what God is doing and to understand what our role in His plan is. So if we're going to deal with our faith, we've got to be truthful with it. Where are we? I'm not an idiot. Uh, I understand that some people come around They only come around when they want to get something from you. I understand that. I even understand that sometimes people come up and ask for prayer because they're setting you up for later they want to come and ask you for something. I know that. You know what that is? That's perverted, polluted 
faith and Christianity that turns the stomach of God. The only reason we ought to ever assemble in this place and say a prayer or sing a song or listen to an exhortation or a conversation like this is because we're in love with God and we want absolutely as much of Him as we can possibly get. Whatever blessing, whatever revelation, whatever experience He has for us that comes as a result of our obedience in that way, to God be the glory. But that should not be the reason why we're doing it. If we're going to address our faith, let's just scale it all back and tear it all down until we get to the foundation on which we're supposed to be building. That foundation, in a nutshell, came... In, in a lot of ways, through a lot of different lessons in the Scripture, but I always like to go to this one because it's easy. It's simple to understand, and it's as good as any of them. And that is when Jesus gave us a powerful story of people building houses. And He said, here's what it's all about. Here's what the foundation looks like. Are you ready? Whoever, you could quote it with me, here's what I say and does it is a wise person who is building his or her house on a rock. And when you experience all this junk that we're all experiencing in life and in this world, and the storms blow strong, because you built on the right foundation, your spiritual house will stand. But whoever either refuses to hear or hears and refuses to do what I say, is building his or her house on the sand. And when you try to get out here and be victorious in this world, with all its storms and all its problems, your house is going to collapse. That's the truth. And that points everything to him. Because it, first of all, takes us to His words, and then it requires of us an attention and a focus and obedience to those words, and it makes it all about Him and not about us. Because as we know, the great war is not between the devil and God. The great war is between God and me. Because all the devil wants me to do is believe in myself. To have me at the center so that God is pushed off-center. That's all He wants. That's all He wants. If we're going to deal with our family situations, we might as well get to the truth. We might as well be transparent and honest. It's not going to help us to try to hang curtains in front of whatever reality is as we prayed a while ago. It's best to just throw it out there and surrender it. It's best to just give it to Him. Now, I don't think you have to stand up publicly and confess everything that's going on to everybody, but I think by all means we ought to be confessing every day to Him what's going on. I had a friend come to me one time. He said, I need some advice. I said, all right, what is it? He said, early on in my marriage, first two or three years, I had a multiple affairs on my wife. We've been married 18 years now. She doesn't know about it. I've never confessed it to her. 
And I'll preface this by saying there are going to be people in the room here who disagree with me on this, but this is my opinion. He said, do you think I ought to go to her now and confess what happened 15 years ago? I thought about it. I said, well, I'll answer your question with a question. Do you have any marriage problems now? He said, no. We have a great marriage. We're in love. We, you know, we raise our kids. We're solid, you know, kingdom-minded people. I said, do you want some? Do you want some marriage problems? He said, of course not. I said, then you better keep your mouth shut. Did you confess to God and repent for your rebellion? Did you confess to God and repent for your infidelity? Yes, sir. I mean, this guy's a pastor. Spiritual leader. I said, well, God forgot about it. <laughs> well, you want to drag it up and, and, and make other people aware of it? He, it's gone. Gone. Act like it didn't happen. It's gone. Keep loving her. Keep caring for her. Keep supporting her. It's gone. Listen. You've got to throw it out there. Give it to God. How many of you th believe, really, down in your heart that, that you're capable of fully hiding something from Him anyway? <laughs> I don't think so. If we're going to deal with our families, we've got to build it on the truth. If we're going to deal with our bodies and our physical conditions... We need to get real with it. We don't need to play games. If you made a commitment that in this year you're going to do certain things to address your health issues, to address your physical fitness, and you did so based on the truth that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you ought to be taking care of it and not giving Him a shack to live in, then we need to be real with it. We need to be truthful with it. We need to be honest with it. We need to remind ourselves daily of the commitment and why we made it and not get lazy with it. It's got to be built on a foundation of truth or it doesn't work. And our money, while we're talking, talking practical issues, our finances. There's no need blowing smoke. You know, I have a lot of respect for people who just pipe up and say, you know what? I've been terrible in my lifetime at managing my money, and it's got, me in a, it's got me in a mess, and I'm having trouble seeing light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's great to hear people say that because it's step number one for you just to be fair and honest about what's going on. It's not helping us to hide anything. There are biblical principles that apply to all these categories of life. There is truth that comes straight out of the heart of God that addresses every one of these subjects in our lives. Got to build it on the right foundation. Our commitment to 2020, 2020 for 2020 with our discipleship, with our physical fitness, with our service and worship, 20 minutes a day. I'd love to be able to stand here on the, what is today, the 9th of February, and say that this many days into 2020, that every single day that I have done a great job with my 2020-20 commitment wouldn't do me any good to lie to you. What good would that do? 
I'm, I'm, I guess I'm supposed to be some sort of a leader and set an example, and I'm, I'm doing fairly well. <laughs> fairly well. That's my honest and truthful confession to you this morning. I'm doing fairly well with it. But I've missed some days. I've missed some 20-minute slots on certain days here and there. I'm not going to walk around in a spirit of guilt and condemnation over it. I'm going to keep getting up every morning, making a new commitment, and doing what it is that I can do. And if I'm just lazy and don't do it on a particular day, I'm not going to take that as a license to get in that pattern. I'm going to repent for that and do better the next day. That's a foundation of truth. That's approaching it honestly. Our one word... How many of you remember what your word is and are carrying on a daily relationship with it? Good, that's most of us. That's most of us. I guess that's the best you can hope for is most, right? We might as well be real. You know whose word that is, right? That's mine. We might as well be real with the experience. We might as well be honest with what's going on with it. If you didn't raise your hand, well, sometimes you ask stuff, people are just not going to raise their hand. doesn't matter what they're doing. That's fine if that's you. But if you didn't raise your hand because you haven't been doing well with it or you have kind of have already put it on the back burner, you're not really in relationship with that word day by day, I want to say thank you this morning for not raising your hand because that's an indication because you are being honest about your experience with it. Now, is that a license for you to continue to ignore a very powerful tool that can help you grow and mature and develop in your spiritual walk? No. I'll keep challenging you with it, but at least you've been honest in saying, I'm not doing it right. So, just to wind it up, when we're coming to God... When we're expecting God to do His work in our lives and to show us what our role is in His story, we've got to get very real and very honest and very personal with Him. It all has to be built on the foundation of truth. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the time is coming and actually now is when, when true worshipers going to worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. I think any attempt at worship that is not built on a foundation of truth ought to just be cast aside and not done at all. It's back to the lukewarm status quo experience. If we're not going to worship in the Spirit, if we're not going to worship based on a foundation of truth, then let's just not worship at all. But what I really want to do, individually and us corporately, is to worship in the Spirit based on a foundation of truth. What does that look like, Jeff? What does it mean day by day? It means that when we come together on Sundays and we begin to sing and lift our hands and we begin to express outward worship to the Father, 
that that is born out of our experience for the previous six days of living a truthful, honest, worshipful lifestyle with the Father. That we're not coming in having to manufacture something because it hasn't been real for us this past week. How is it that we ever landed on the, the lie, the falsehood, that we ought to just come in on Sunday mornings and manufacture some worship and that ought to be our worship experience for the week. That, that, that experience should really just complement what's been going on all week. Right? Where you come together with other individuals who have individually been worshiping God all week. And then you come together as a group in a room and you have all these worshipers who have been living worship all week long, worshiping together now corporately as a family in the same room. Man, imagine what church would be like everywhere if every church did that. This is why I have this drawback from even calling that our worship time. Or that our worship team. You know who our worship team in the room is supposed to be? Everybody across here and up here and everywhere. All worshipers. All, every single one just as important as any other. So that, so that this person who doesn't play an instrument and can't carry a tune in a dump truck is just as important in terms of their approach to worship in the room as Eddie is, who's a great singer and musician. Because it's not really about the quality of our voice or the quality of our musicianship. All those things are just used to the glory of God. It's about our hearts of worship that are, that, that are active seven days a week. Lifestyle of worship, not moments of worship experience. <laughs> I don't know, I could hang around there for a long time. When Joshua was being appointed by God to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. I was thinking about Joshua and how he must have been feeling because Joshua had been a sidekick to Moses for a very long time. And there are some indications in the Scripture that, that Joshua's experience with God was very intricately related to his relationship with Moses. And so Moses is dead And Joshua is next in line. He's the leader. And if you go back and read in the first chapter of Joshua, you'll find God coming to give him some counsel. And God says to him, just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. All right? Just like, not, not you're going to ride this thing on Moses' coattails. Now, we know he didn't get in, but you're still the benefactor of, or the beneficiary of, the Moses experience. 
No, that's not what God said to him. God said, you're an individual. You are my man for this job at this hour. You've been called and appointed with a purpose. You have your own role. I'm establishing you to do certain things. And the same way I was with the man who preceded you, I'm going to be with you at the same level. You and I have the same kind of individual and personal relationship that Moses and I had. Man, what a lesson for us. What a great encouragement to us because you know what? That Word is good for every one of you. That God sees you as an individual and God is interested in a personal father-child relationship with you. And God has designed you with a purpose. And just like He was with Moses and with Joshua and ever has been with anybody to do anything, He is with you. God doesn't have any grandchildren. It's you and Him. Father and child. It's me and Him. Father and child. It is God that we need. It's God that we have to have. All the godly principles, all the godly attributes and traits are subject to God Himself as a person. God is the only one who has no beginning and no end. Everything and everybody else has some source, some, some place they came from, some time that they're encapsulated inside of, except God, and He's the one we need. And freedom to walk in this way is available to us. So everything we've talked about since the first Sunday in January, it's connected and related, and there's freedom in it. There's another line from a song that says, So often we live our lives in chains, we never even know we have the key. We have the key, y'all. We have the key to unlock mysteries. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. He said that to his followers. I have volunteered myself. You can do this too if you haven't already. I have volunteered myself to be one of those close followers. I've said, hey, God, here, look, look, me. Me. I, I want to be one of the ones that when the big crusade on the hillside is over keeps following you down the road asking questions wanting to know more wanting a little bit of an explanation about something you said over there I, I'm, I'm volunteering I want to be one of those and when some of those start to fall off and feel like they got to go home and do this that or the other I, I'm volunteering to be one of the ones who just keeps going keeps pushing into the night sitting up by the fireside and having you say to me, here's the depth of the message that I was trying to teach the masses that they just did not get. And Jesus said, if you'll do that, I'm going to place the keys to the kingdom in your hands. 
And you can unlock mysteries that are in the heart of God. And you will see revelation and you will hear things straight out of the heart of God that you never knew existed. And they are things that He's not sharing with everybody. Only those who have volunteered and said, that's where I want to go. I'm not satisfied with being one of the masses on the hillside. I'm not satisfied with the status quo. I'm not just going to be a church member. I'm not just going to be a Christian. I want to be a disciple, a follower, a hearer, and a doer of the words that I hear. One who sits and listens and has close, intimate, personal communion and fellowship and relationship with God day after day after day. Those are the keys that will unlock the chains, create tremendous freedom in our lives as we walk this kingdom walk, and will show us that everything, everything we need is in the heart of God Himself. And we can study the Scripture, and we can read books, and we can go to church, and we can listen to recordings of other people teaching and preaching, and we can listen to Christian music, and we can do all these things, and all of these can be powerful tools to help us and to empower us. But none of them in and of itself is going to complete the work that God Himself, through personal relationship, desires to complete. It is God that we need. Let's understand that today from the perspective of truth, reality, honesty. We're not fooling God. Sometimes we can fool each other, but what's the point? There's no point in that. We all have weaknesses. We all have failures. We all stumble and fall. And then we should look to God and He will, again, forgive, restore, pick up broken pieces and build them into something more beautiful than the original. <laughs> That's a pretty cool thing. Father, thank You that Your truth is available and Your truth is the foundation of it all. Your truth. Thank You for teaching us out of your heart today about your truth. We had a prayer time where we just surrendered and said, Lord, it's all about you. Do your work. We have to have you. We can't do it. We can't fix it. We can't restore it. We can't create anything. We can't recreate anything. We need you. And now you've taught us by your word how to live in that. Thank you for that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is constant right with us all the time. We're never alone. Never alone. And thank you for brothers and sisters that we can lean on and walk this journey together with. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. A few announcements just to touch on briefly. We didn't do it earlier. <coughs> Jesus Jam coming up in a couple weeks on the weekend.